0: fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever and with fishing booker you can experience it too no matter where you are discover your next adventure on fishing booker
1: the birds not the band um What's kind of like the process of that? I mean, you just go there and like waiting to see them like flying around. I mean, what's that? What's this like kind of set that scene up for me?
2: All right. We have three eagles nests that, okay. are, that are within, you know, an easy driving distance from Miami. We've got one that's 10 minutes from my house at Ron McGill at the Miami Zoo set up. Yep. And uh, they're nesting now. So they all have chicks. Mm-hmm. So the parents are flying back and forth with food. So you'll go there. You know, the eagles are there. The question is, are they going to be doing anything interesting? Mm-hmm. And usually the answer is no. <laughs> if they're sitting right. on the nest and the other one's flying around doing something else. So you, you're hoping for something to come back with like a fish or a rabbit or something and it's talons bringing food to the baby. Right. That's the, the best thing. Then with the Miami Eagles, there's a, a dead tree right next to them. So sometimes they'll leave the nest and fly over to the dead tree and that's pretty good because then you get them landing and get them hopping around from branch to branch and the whole trick is getting them to do something interesting right you know otherwise you got bird looking left bird looking right right is there any way yeah. to like entice that i mean no not not with the, not 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 with really the eagles nothing they're way high up yeah nest is far away you're not allowed to go within 100 yards of an eagle nest or something right so uh and there's nothing to do to make them more exciting um the owls we have barred owls down in the everglades mm-hmm. and uh you know they see people and they sort of like fly over to see what you're doing and stuff then they're fairly common on this one road yeah and uh you know they'll they'll fly from tree to tree and the trick is getting them flying and getting them flying right um towards you so that you get their face because mm-hmm. the owls are cool they're just a flying face with a couple of wings sticking out of it right but it's it's neat those Osprey shots, when they're coming right at you, are cool like that, too. Ospreys, yeah, especially with the Ospreys diving for uh, fish. Right. Like we're going from here, we're going up to Sebastian Inlet, spent a couple of mornings trying to find some Ospreys that are cooperating. Yeah. Last couple of times I've been up there and nothing's happened. There hasn't been an Osprey, hasn't been anything going on. You remember those, man, I'm sure you do, remember those the, the way back when
1: um, in the old drive down to the Keys, not the way the drive down of the Keys is a lot different now than what, the way it used to be. But you used to see, like, all the tons of those eagle nests on those little the little wood poles that they have and everything. You don't really see as much. I don't know if you remember seeing that or not. But I remember as a kid, we used to, like, really acutely observant of it. My brother and I used to count them all the time.
2: Yeah. But, just, no, I don't I don't remember seeing any eagle's nest on the road down to Flamingo, you mean? Uh, no, 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 just just straight down. To to like you know just to Key Largo
1: drive and then then all through Leighton and stuff like that we still oh, spot oh, them all the yeah, time yeah there's, yeah
2: there's there's lots of eagle nests around yeah they just uh, um, most of them aren't really very good for photography they're high up and you don't see anything yeah and the best one with we've got one up by the Miami Canal up by Okeechobee um, you got two up there actually mm-hmm. and one is right across the canal so you've got a really good you know photo shoot of it straight across you can see them coming and going from good distances yeah so you get them flying you're really looking for them to bring in either a stick to build the nest or you know food of some kind and or the two of them interacting together you know yeah females are always screaming at the males so it's you know so what else is new it's it's just you know it's just animal nature right yes yes (laughs) someone's always being bossed
1: around (laughs) nothing new So, all right, let let, let me officially kick this hearing off. So, I'm going to welcome you to the Connected by Water podcast and everybody listening. So, Mm -hmm. we are fueled by our very good friends at Papa's P.L.R. Rum, who remind you never to be a spectator. We are a Waypoint hosted podcast. You can find us there. And also, watch, listen, and do not forget to subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Hit that like button, and please, we would love to hear from you in the comments or by email at sales at connectedbywater.com. Before we kick it off, we do have to mention, we like to mention, we want to mention because it's an outstanding program that we're involved with. We'd like to announce this week's Starbright Solutions do-gooder. Now, if anyone's listened to the show or paid attention to Starbright and everything they do for the do-gooder program, you know that every week we highlight someone that is a steward of our environment, is a conservationist, likes to you know, just be responsible all around. And um, this week, we are going to honor Connected by Water's very own Nick DeSantis right here as our do-gooder of the week. And the reason that we're honoring Nick is because Nick does a really good job He fish down in Chokoloskee all the time on his, his Hells Bay Whip Ray. And, you know, when you go out fishing with Nick, he is always just uber conscious of just being, you know, environmentally and, you know conservationally conscious of, of everything going on and making sure that everyone is doing what they're supposed to do down there and keeping their waters clean and he is also a huge advocate for both our Connected by a Water fight and everyone else's, we're the Captains for Clean Water and all the other organizations that we're involved with and just um, and just being a voice for, for everyone out there as the sirens roll, it's, it's Pompano so what can I say, so congrats Nick right you deserve it buddy so all right um also if you have a do-gooder in your area we want to hear from you and you nominate them just by reaching out to us at connect by water at dennis real art on instagram or at sea red Wine, that's c red Wine, or at d red Wine art and um just send us a message any one of us and we will get your do-gooder nominated so today's guest is no stranger to the show Right, our good friend Pat Ford. Last time you were here with Rufus, you guys were talking about all your Galapagos adventures and but you know, we wanted to do another follow up episode because we just felt like that would be a lot of fun. Right. The so, idea. It
2: was it was a lot of fun last time. I'm glad to be back here. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Yeah, no, it's 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 an honor to have you. I mean, you know, I've long admired you and your work and and everything that you've done and you know, everything that you've contributed to in both this as an industry and as a culture um to just South Florida fishing and nothing for nothing world renowned worldwide fishing you know quite frankly um and everything that you've contributed to fly fishing and you know photography and just um just world records and just in the hunt of just you know being living and uh a living breathing outdoorsman like all together so it's it's really just an honor to have you back um in the studio we were talking a little bit about before i did my whole spiel about you know the birds and and the photography and and all the different things like that, but you're kind of on a little bit of a road trip here and you came up from Miami, you stopped here, just do a podcast, but you're on your way up to like the Gainesville area to, to and do, up through Sebastian. You said you're going to photograph some osprey and you've got more eagles to photograph up north and you're going to do some, you're, you're on the hunt for big bass, right? Yeah,
2: we're on a walkabout. I've got a couple of days with uh, a guy called Bassman Rand mm-hmm. up in Gainesville and he gets the, biggest bass I've ever seen. He's got a whole bunch of 14, 15 pound bass. Uh, Really knows his stuff and I went up with him last year and I got there like two days too late. (laughs) He said all the beds were empty. The spawn was over and I just missed it. So we set for two days this year. We got two days before the full moon which he says is primo time Mm -hmm. so we're hoping to go up there and and get you know a mega bass hope i get a story for florida sportsmen out of it and stuff but that'd be great you know i'd love to i'd love to get a 12 13 pound bass i've never seen one of those before so yeah no i have not caught a bass that that large before we got some big ones in the lake right behind my house but Mm -hmm. it's and it's in february last february we caught a whole bunch of them peter miller got it lives on the lake and he uh he got a 13 pounder uh a couple of guys got 12, 11 pounders. Really? Another guy got a, a double of a 10 and a, half and a 9 and a half right off my dock. And this was all in February, I can't figure out why. There must be a spawn or something, but nobody seems to know why. Or, or Yeah, specifically. that's interesting. It's a deeper lake, so you don't really see them on beds. Right. But we've got so many peacocks in there. If you're fishing shiners, you don't get many largemouths because the little baby peacocks uh, yeah, one and two pounders they yeah. just snarf them up as soon as they yep. see them so we were using those green sluggo worms and green lizards mm-hmm. and stuff on little jig heads yeah that's where we caught all the big bass yeah you got to drop them down real deep just bottom them yeah yeah i didn't catch any i just everybody else was <laughs> catching them off my boat my dock and um you were you were just telling them all where they were right yeah it was like <laughs> you should have seen what we caught you know it's yeah no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was pretty good. But anyway, I'm hoping that um, Rand will get us some, uh, you know, some couple of big ones in yeah. two days. I hope so, too. I mean, that that sounds like
1: a great trip. I mean, it sounds like someone I need to go visit, too. What do you think, Nick? You want to take a road trip up there to
2: Gainesville and catch yeah. some lunkers? Yeah. It's yeah. called. He's called Bassman Rand. All right. And he's on Facebook and easily, if you Google Bassman Rand, you'll see a whole bunch of monster, monster bass. Cool. Just unbelievable. So, I mean, if anyone's listening to
1: this, I mean, you want to follow up on Pat's trip here to see what they get. You know, just hit them up on Instagram or Facebook. And, yep. Don't yeah, worry. Don't if I
2: catch anything, it'll be on Facebook. So yeah, probably Instagram too. Yeah. Definitely. If I catch anything.
1: So what's up? You told me that there was a, a lake up there with like thirty eagles nests. That right? way.
2: Yeah, I've got another friend named Dick Vinter wrote and he lives on a lake. He's got a pontoon boat. He's a photographer, professional photographer. Right. So he runs little photography mornings and afternoons where you get on the pontoon boat drive around this lake he's got something like 30 eagles nests on mm-hmm. the lake so you've got that's you know 60 70 eagles floating around there right and um, you can see them flying back and forth to the nests with fish and whatever you could really see them diving if you're lucky diving and grabbing a fish grabbing a bass or something out of the lake which is pretty cool yeah and the uh once in a while, you get them interacting in the air, which is a mating practice or something where they'll hook talons and roll around and do all kinds of crazy stuff. That's what I'm hoping. I'm, you know, it's fun You're going out with friends. We're all photographers. Yeah. We're all sitting there, you know, talking and yapping and hoping the eagle does something interesting. Listen, you've
1: you've <laughs> been on. All right. So we talked about this the other day. Like, if, if, just from my knowledge, you've probably been on as as far as like a fish photographer let's just say that right you've been on probably more covers than anybody else has i think right? mm, just just from prob- my probably yeah, probably right That there's probably a very good safe thing to say i think yeah right i, right? I
2: really like covers
1: <laughs> yeah so you've been on like what, like 300 plus covers yeah Right. something like that. all right so you, you're an experienced photographer right everybody knows that right you, You got days where you're just like, okay, it's hit or miss, right? I'm not going to get a lot of eagles today, for example, like we just talked about, you know. I mean, do you ever really find yourself, like, truly, just because you've been around the block so many times, truly, truly, truly going,
2: I need that shot today. Need that shot today.
1: You get in that mode anymore? You used to be like that or what?
2: With fishing, yeah. Yeah. You know, with fishing, you want to get a jumping tarpon, jumping sailfish, a jumping marlin. You want to get something spectacular action yeah. you know shot with fishing you know, you know if you go to Guatemala or the Galapagos or, or Costa Rica uh, you know you're going for a specific jumping fish and you really want that jump when as a photographer with a fish you need the fish to jump he's mm-hmm. got to be down sun sun's got to be at your back and on the fish otherwise if you're shooting into the sun the whole fish is just a black silhouette mm-hmm. you know they're no good um, and then it's got to be sideways because if it's jumping away from you, you've got the black back. It looks like an eel.
1: Right. Yeah. And skinny, if it's coming yeah.
2: at you, it's just a belly. So you need for a magazine cover, the magazine articles, you really need the fish to cooperate. It's got to jump down, son. It's got to jump sideways. Right. You know, so you can get the coloring on it and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. It's not easy. It's not easy.
1: Yeah, I, I I'd imagine that's that's gotta be a frustrating endeavor at times. Especially
2: if the fish aren't biting, I mean. Yeah, if you, you catch catch two or three fish a day. Yeah, and you gotta make a lot of them don't even jump. Right. You know, you get fish and you get the whole thing and they, they'll jump once, make a big run, they'll jump three hundred yards away. The blue marlin are horrible for photography. Why? Well they they they'll strike, they'll then greyhound Five hundred yards. Got to go, And they're about foot off the water. They're too far away, real quick for photos. They'll sound, and then you'll pump them up for an hour, and they'll get up next to the boat. And they're all brown. They lay on the side and say, "Okay, you win. Take the hook out." They don't jump. Right. The black marlin are the best. Black marlin, they their jumps are spectacular. They're just skyborne jumps and then when you get them up close, even though they're tired, the mate gets on the leader, that fish will jump 15 times on the leader while the boat's backing down and the mm-hmm. you know the mate's holding it. And it just goes up and down and up and down. Spectacular pictures. They're my favorite fish to- The black marlin. Uh, the black marlin, but yeah, they only get them at Tropic Star though. Right. That's, yeah. uh, you know, and lots of times, last couple of times I've been to Tropic Star, I haven't even seen a black marlin. I got blues, but- Oh, really? Yeah. The blacks are hard to come by. Yeah especially if you want one
1: are they i mean do you find that the black marlin are decreasing or increasing like at all i mean the population wise i mean no
2: i have no idea you know though. i mean i know the best place unless you go to australia or new zealand or someplace really cool right uh the best place to catch a black marlin is tropic star yeah it's uh, you know it's it's a magnificent lodge they've got a lot of blue marlin they've got a lot of black marlin they've got Mahi that are unbelievable. Mm-hmm. A mahi, a forty-pound mahi down at Tropic Star is a pest. Right, they, they, they hate them. They'll they go out in the morning and you'll first thing you do is catch bait. So you catch these five to ten-pound bonitas or or tunas, mm-hmm. put them in these tuna tubes, and you can only they only have like six or eight tuna tubes on the boat. So you get right. six or eight baits. You got them stuck in the tuna tubes, and you run out to wherever you're going to fish, and they bridle the the live bait and they slow troll live baits. Well. A mahi will come up, the bait's 10 pounds. It's too big for the mahi to eat, but the mahi didn't know that because they're sort of aggressive. Right. So it'll kill it. Well, the mates, you know, don't want them, they don't want to waste time on mahi, no matter how big they are. And they don't want the mahi killing the bait. So if one comes up, they'll immediately pull the bait away from it as fast as they can, get it in. And people run away from 40 pound mahis. Yeah. There was a f- friend of mine who was down here, one. November and they had a couple of groups that were at the lodge and they decided they were going to have a mahi tournament because everything else was sort of slow. So they said, all right, everybody put hundred bucks in a kitty biggest mahi wins it. So my guys went out and, and fishing for 15 minutes, they got the biggest mahi they had ever seen. It was like enormous. So they just dumped it in the boat and said, okay, we're going Marlin fishing. Right. This is in the bag. The fish weighed 65 pounds. Came in fourth. Come on, came in fourth. <laughs> fourth, sixty-five ba mahi came in fourth. That's a big mahi. You think? You know, wow. You think I wrote a story? What was f- the biggest one? A Seventy-two or something 70- like that. Yeah. Some god awful amount. I mean, these are freak fish. They're <laughs> just so big. Somebody, I did an article for Anglers Journal or one of the magazines just a mm-hmm. little while ago. I think it was Anglers Journal, and I said, if you want to catch a world record mahi, how do you do it? You go to Tropic Star. Right and you just fish baits with no hooks in them and just have them tease the mahi in just like you would a marlin the marli, the mahi don't tease well they sort of try to kill it and if they can't they go away but at least yeah. you can you can get them coming up on the baits the live big live baits and then throw a fly at them yeah and uh you know if they're sighted enough as soon as they see the fly they'll hit it you catch a lot of mahi on fly yeah, hat, have you caught oh a lot? Oh, yeah, I've caught a lot. Yeah. yeah, I think my biggest is like 38, 39 pounds nice. or something like that. Yeah. And that was in Cozumel a bunch of years ago. Yeah. But, yeah, I'll take a mahi on fly any day. They're beautiful fish. They jump. They fight.
1: They're, I love catch a mahi. Yeah, it's a, a, It really big big is a great
2: fish. The big ones are extinct in Florida. I mean, right. I don't know anybody that's had one. Yeah,
1: I don't know what's going on around here. They're, just, they're all little. rare breed now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. A, a friend of mine, that hunter led better down in Key West, he entered one of the mahi tournaments last spring Mm -hmm. or last summer i guess and he won it he had a 16 pound mahi he won the whole tournament with a 16 pound mahi. yeah we did that once um geez
1: it was i don't know man maybe 10 years maybe maybe more we fished the fort pierce like some meat Mm -hmm. tournament up there and the junior on the boat caught an 11 pound mahi and we're like oh let's weigh it you know, maybe it's aware you know mm-hmm. we'll see maybe you'll take junior for the category he won the whole mahi category with that fish
2: yeah i don't know where all the big ones have gone but yeah. you know back in the day we used to get 20 30 pounders fairly regularly yeah we had i was out with trossett years ago and we were mahi fishing and we found a, a pair and we caught the caught the female on a bait and the other one followed it in, the male. Mm-hmm. And we got the female in and hooked the male on fly next to it and then got the female in. Fought the, we fought the male for like almost an hour. Uh, it wasn't me, it was the other guy I was with. And, uh, and the rod broke in half. Yeah, And he just, you know, he gave up. The rod broke and he just, ah, gave up. Didn't try to fight it with the broken rod. He just gave up on it and popped it off. The female was 38 pounds. The male that he'd hooked had to be close to 50. Yeah. You know, it was like, you know, RT was going bananas with it. Just, oh, <laughs> the, the biggest mahi, and it's on fly and everything yeah. else. So it was a superb fish. I love catching mahi. Yeah. But there, I don't I don't know wherever else. They get some big ones down in Isla Harris, but they're sort of not as regular as uh, um, Tropic Star. Yeah, Tropic no, Star I, I hear the stories sick. about
1: Tropic Star. I know Maya keeps trying to get me down there Every yeah, you got to go on one of Mike's trips. Yeah, a, so I, I we're gonna try to get down there this year. You yeah, know, again, one of in in his September trips.
2: And yeah, I try to sneak in on those too. So yeah,
1: he, he keeps saying, "Oh, you got to come, you got to come, you got to come." There's always something that I had going on that I could, for whatever reason. You look back on it now, and you can never remember the reason why, and that's the reason you yeah. should go. Yeah, exactly. Right? So exactly. You know, I don't know. Have you, Carlene, You ever been down to Tropic Star? No. No. no? <clears throat> short you know, conversation yeah, yeah. <laughs> not not at all
2: so anyway I'm dying to go it's, it's a great place it's expensive but, but it's like a five star hotel in the middle of the jungle food yeah. is spectacular the rooms are unbelievable and their their boats are most of their boats are 32 Bertrams mm-hmm. or 31 Bertrams it's like the you know the The secret graveyard for thirty-one Bertrams. Sounds like my front yard. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And uh, but they're all they're all down there. True, by the way. And they have the same (laughs) boats. (laughs) They have the same engines, the same parts. Yeah. Because it's so hard to get anything in there to fix anything. If it breaks, you know, you can't start looking for parts. Right. Got to have they complete completely rebuild an engine overnight. If you come in and have a boat's have a problem, they'll run it up on a ramp. Right. Wait for the tide to go out. Get in there, pick a whole engine out, put another one in, and things like good NASCAR. to go in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they wow. all got it done. They got a couple of real boats now, but those, those Bertrams are just the workers. They just yeah. puts around and they just catch fish.
1: Well, those, I mean, those are, I mean, just marlin boats. I mean, you could turn yeah. them on a dime, and you know, just mm-hmm. easy to back down and all that. Yeah, yep,
2: yeah. It's it's a it's a well thought up thought out operation down there because yeah. the maintenance is is more important than the fishing. Yeah. Your boat don't work. You're not going to catch any
1: fish. Yeah. I hear the hospitality down there is like phenomenal. I, I mean, I've met the, all the people. Yeah. You know what I mean? All the different events that mm-hmm. we do and everything like that. And it, you know, that definitely shows. So. Yeah. Oh, no, that's I'm a spectacular place. Yeah. The so last time you were here, we were talking about a lot of the underwater photography mm-hmm. that you do uh, with, with the sharks and different things like that. I mean, do you a lot of do a lot of like billfish jump-ins and stuff like that too? Um. Like when you go
2: like a marlin, like you jump in the water in the open sea. Oh yeah, like yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I do that. I uh, we go to Magdalena Bay. I've been there about four times. I'm probably not going back. I've sort of like beat it to death. But Magdalena Bay, you get the striped marlin on the bait balls. Yeah, and that's spectacular. It's just a, we don't we can fish. I have fish, but the fishing is so anticlimactic compared to jumping in the water with a bait ball with a dozen striped marlin around it mm-hmm. and a couple of sea lions and stuff like that. It's yeah. just spectacular to watch them the interaction i mean the bait will run over and hide around the the snorkelers right you know they'll hide around it you'll be in the middle of the bait and the next thing you know the bait will clear and there'll be a marlin coming straight at you oh and they come right by but they'll swerve off because they don't i'm yeah they, they don't poke you they know where their bill's going i mean have
1: you ever had any close calls like where you're just like man yeah. that, that almost really
2: yeah yeah they come right at you and you know the bait goes and there's a you know, 150-pound marlin coming right at you and then goes to the side and goes by and down. We did the same thing down Islamara, um Isla Harris down in Mexico right. years ago. They used to be the same thing with sailfish. to be on the bait balls. Lately, the last 10 years maybe, the bait balls have been so inconsistent. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can find them, but sometimes they're 20 miles off, which is great. Now, next day, they'll be 50 miles off. right? And there's no real pattern to where they're going to show up i had friends that used to call me and say, okay the bait's in the sailfish are ball on the bait get your butt down here so i'd jump in the plane the next day and come down i'd still miss it oh uh, now they're 50 miles off the wind's blowing 30 yeah. we're in a 34 foot boat you know we can't do it so it uh it sort of petered out but we had some great times mm-hmm. i did a tv show with jimmy nelson years ago yeah. 10 years ago Or 11 years ago down there, and we've had a bait ball all for ourselves. We were in the water 45 minutes with a giant ball of bait and about 20 sailfish that were just swimming around eating it. Come on. Yeah, it was that was spectacular. I yeah, literally that sounds like magic. I literally grabbed a bait and handed it to a sailfish. It took it <laughs> out on. it took it out of my hand. I couldn't believe it. You I'm more impressed with you were able to grab the bait. Well it was it was something <laughs> whacked it. Uh, yeah. the, way oh, okay. they, the way they hunt, you know, they'll circle it and oh, okay. they I'm have, just thinking like you just like went into the, they the have they probably grabbed the pretty live much, bait. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean the bait's <laughs> all around you because it's hiding around you. So they uh <laughs> I'm trying to (laughs) picture this in my mind, you know, you've got that the sailfish come up and they'll go in and they'll whack a whole bunch of baits and the baits will be stunned. So they're sort of twittering and then the sailfish will come around and there's a pecking order because one sailfish will go feed and the others won't bother it. Right. And then it'll move back and then the next one will go in. So it's all a rotation of the fish but i think they must have whacked it because like you say it's a little hard to grab a bait ball out of a bait out yeah, of the middle of the yeah. water but whatever it was i got one and the sailfish were swimming around me and i just sort of held it out in my hand wiggled it came right up to go right out of my hand nice yeah pretty cool man
1: yeah, that has to been a cool feeling
2: yeah it was it was like this is really freaky you know of, of all the places
1: you've been to like where, where would you say has like the most abundant population of sailfish would it be like Isla? I mean, well, it, if you... Uh, that changes, Atlantic obviously, they Isla. migrate. But, Atlantic, yeah. it's
2: Isla. In, okay. in the winter. But uh, Guatemala is the... Guatemala. Is yeah. the place. You know, Vieja Lodge or Brad Phyllis's, Brad Phillips' uh, Guatemalan billfish adventures are the two best that I have go to. Right. And uh, that that can be just off the charts spectacular. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no bait balls, but there's just a million sailfish. I mean, you can raise 30, 40 sailfish a day. You know and they're yeah. huge they're 80 to 120 pounds and yeah it, the big pacific Sea, yeah yeah for and sure. they tease up it's mostly fly fishing um but so you can tease them they tease right up to the boat and they'll practically you stick their nose in the exhaust pipe you know they're you're like where's the food you yeah. throw a fly in and they'll hit it and it's a and they the fight is good they don't fight forever it's not like hooking a marlin right. where you can kiss kiss away the next hour and a half they're you know 15 25 minute fights jumping and uh for photography the sailfish on fly are much better because you hook them 30 feet behind the boat mm-hmm. they start jumping 30 feet behind the boat they're fresh they're all lit up and you get them tail walking back and forth when you're fish- i love that when <clears> when <throat> you, when a sail first hooks up the way they dance yeah i always think that's the most one of the most beautiful things you could see on the oh, water it's spectacular and especially with these with these new cameras that shoot like 15, 20 frames a second. Mm-hmm. If everything falls together, you'll have like 10 great shots out of one jump. Yeah. And it's It really works out well. That's great. So I want to switch gears on you real quick.
1: So I was thinking about something the other day that I recently read is that, and I don't know the percentages, but I know the percentages are great, right? So they said the percentage of people that f- actually were fly fishermen in America before the movie A River Runs Through It came out were extremely low, right? And then after the movie came out, skyrocketed. Like like some 600,000% more fly fishermen across it. It It did wonders for the entire industry, Mm -hmm. right? You are among that low percentage of people that were fly fishing before A River Runs Through. True. Right? Um, A pioneer in your own right when it it comes to this area. And I really want to discuss this with you greatly. you'd moved here what was it 1971
2: i think it was down in key west you yeah were in the navy navy sent me to key west in 1971 mm-hmm. and i was the legal officer for the naval air station down there so i'd like died and gone to heaven sure it was like i never seen it i'm from i was from new jersey new york and then i was in pensacola for two years fishing in pensacola is pretty good inshore, yeah. and offshore you got to run a long ways but i didn't you know they got bowl. that clean water up in pensacola yeah. crystal clear oh, yeah. yeah Oh, it's, it, the fishing was very good um then I got to Key then I kept reading about all you know John Emery, Al Fluger, and all these guys catching all these fish in Key West in their fancy boats. I remember reading that that Al Fluger or or Jim Lopez or somebody had just built a custom formula, 23 foot formula, customized it, center console for sport fishing, and it was the you know the the Rolls Royce of boats at that time cost them ten thousand dollars and everybody said oh my god you yeah. can pay that much for a boat you know wow you can't get an engine for ten thousand dollars right? yeah so <laughs> the uh i remember doing that and i called up my detailer and said hey if you ever get an opening in key west i'd like to go well nobody wants to go to key west if you don't fish and you're in the navy stuck in key west you're dead mm-hmm. it's just horrible and uh, so i they jumped it. next thing you know i got transferred to key west and spent two years there and Miami was the first point of civilization north, so I stopped started my law practice there. Mhm. So it said I've been I used to have a condo in Key West. So I go back and forth. Yeah. You know the whole time. So So I'm still did, going back and forth. When now. did you really like start picking up a fly rod back then? Um When I first got there, I did a little fly fishing, but not much. Yeah. I did a, caught a couple of tarpon on fly. Um Back then, the best fly rod was a Fenwick glass rod, mm-hmm. which was like a noodle compared to what we're using today. The only good reel was a Seamaster, which were way out of everybody's price range. And uh, so I had some, I had, uh, remember a Shakespeare mm-hmm. reel, a big Shakespeare reel or a Fluga reel and a couple of fly rods and stuff. I did, uh, mostly I did bonefish. Yeah. You know, bonefish and tried for permit and stuff on the flats, but the, uh, the tarpon, I never got the tarpon bug. I caught a couple but you really need a guide. You really need somebody on the back of the boat that knows where the fish were yesterday, that can pull you around and set you up, put you in position. It's really hard to fly fish if you've got some of your buddies on the boat because they don't know how to pull it, they don't know how to you know, position right. it, they don't know how to get spot the fish and you're trying to do it all from the bow and then catch them. It just didn't work. So I, I burnt out of that real quick. I caught a couple and said, okay, that's nice, but I was really more interested in the wreck fishing Mm-hmm. Because that, back then, there was only two or three guys that could get to the wrecks. Bob Montgomery with the guide. Um, some of the guys like A.M. Tyler and Jim Lopez and Al Pfluger from Miami knew where they were. But you had to find these wrecks by compass course, RPM, and a stopwatch. It kept the riffraff off them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that you would run from the last buoy in Northwest Channel to Smith Shoal, and you'd time it. You'd, you'd go around and take your circle. You'd get it like 4,000 RPMs, and you'd hit that thing, put your stopwatch, and go to Smith and then stop it. Yeah. And, and then you would multiply that by 3.14. Uh, I think that was what it was. And then you would go 005 degrees at whatever the time was, 25, 29 minutes, or something like that, at the same RPM. And if the water conditions changed, you had to stay at that same RPM. So lots of times we were half airborne when we we're making these runs Just <laughs> the seas up and we're still going at <laughs> 4,500 RPMs or something. And then you'd throw a marker and you go looking for the wreck. But you'd find the wreck because you'd see a big pot of kobe on the surface or yeah. you'd turn around behind your boat and there'd be 30 kobe following you around saying, hey, you got any food? You know, it was just, it was amazing. We'd chum on the wrecks. You'd get... Five, six pound mangrove sapper would come right up to the surface and hang yeah. right in your chum line behind the boat, big amber jacks, cobia, all kinds of stuff. God, I remember those old days
1: of fishing on the keys. It was just like yeah. you couldn't miss. Oh, like, it was it was yeah.
2: it was spectacular. And then Laura N. C came out in nineteen eighty, give or take. I think we're pretty much sure it was around nineteen eighty. And uh then we got to go to Rex that we couldn't do the running from. Mm -hmm. If you found a wreck out there, if you found a shripper on a wreck or something like that, you could punch in the numbers, you'd have it forever. So they found, you know, uh, R.T. Trossett and Delph and uh, myself and a few other guys, they talked to all their shrippers. I had a law office down there, so I had a a lawyer I was sharing space with that had a lot of shripper clients. So part of their representation was, hey, you got your hang chart. We really want to see your hang chart. They go, what do you want that for? So we just want to just, can we see your hang yeah. chart? Sure enough. So we'd be taking down the, the numbers on everything and stuff because the sherpers have to know where the wrecks are because they want to stay away from them. Right. So they've got these things marked and they weren't really accurate, but they were close enough where you could go to those numbers and start looking around and doing some searching. We found all kinds of wrecks that nobody had fished. Nobody had fished them. And it was just, it was insane. So you're living in Key West. You move
1: up to Miami. You start your law practice. You get settled in, right? But at some point, you start becoming like this staple, and let's call it the industry, right? Mm -hmm. And you start getting more involved in different tournaments and the different organizations that are going on. Take me through some of that. Take me through how you kind of went from just Navy guy right to casual fishermen to maniacs yeah yeah to to all all in with all
2: this yeah well they had the met tournament back in the 70s Mm -hmm. and 80s they had the met tournament and uh, that was really popular everybody i knew participated the met tournament i was in the key west anglers club and we would have outings with tropical anglers or something like that so there was a lot of emphasis on catching fish on different lines different tackle it fly spin plug and then general and spin was 10 pound spin the plug was 15 pound mono back then there wasn't any braid it was all mono and fly rod was a 12 pound tippet because mm-hmm. that's all there was and we'd have contests each fish would get a points system and it would uh you know it was it was challenging it was competition yeah. you got to fish you got to show off you won something your ego got boosted and you got a lot of nice fish that way because guys that you were fishing with were also into the same thing and everybody learned from everybody else. So you got really good. Um, I was pretty active in the Met. Um, I won a lot of things in the Met. I set the Florida state record for sailfish on fly, which still holds. Really? Uh, yeah, that was off Palm Beach back in 1980. And what's the record? 55 and a half pounds on a 12 pound tippet. Nice. But it was the largest sailfish taken on fly in Florida. Right. And, and that holds today. It holds today because nobody's catching fish on sailfish on fly anymore, and they're right. not killing them. No, yeah, but this was this was a, another strange thing because my friend Ron Hamlin, who's deceased, Ronnie uh, was running a private boat out of uh, uh, Singer Island or Fisher. No, Singer Island or someplace in Palm Beach, and I'd been trying for a couple of years to catch a sailfish on fly in Miami, but mostly with my friends that had boats in Stewart because there were a lot more sailfish in Stewart back then. And we're trying to tease them up uh, like you do, but the Atlantic's don't tease the same way the Pacific's do. Right. The Pacific's are dumber than rocks. They're like an amberjack with a point in their nose. They'll just keep coming at you. They'll run around when the bait's out of the way, they'll run around swimming in circles saying, where is it? The Atlantic come up, they'll make one pass. And if they don't get it, they'll lose interest and go away. they're gone. So they're really, really hard to tease. And if the timing between taking the bait away and putting the fly in, it's got to be really, really close. Yeah. So Hamlin said, we were talking in the Rotten and Reel Club, and Ronnie said, have you caught your sailfish on fly yet in, in Florida? And I said, no, I caught some in Cozumel, but not in Florida. And he says, okay, well, this year we're going to do it. He says, you just be ready because I'm going to call you. I got a private boat. He lets me take people out. I'll call you. You got to be at the dock the next morning, and we'll go. So this was this was good February 3rd I got a call from Ronnie he says get your butt up here they're balling the bait he says that one boat caught 70 today or something like that Mm -hmm. so uh, I run up there Uh, Mark Sausson was on the boat with me and uh, we all went out with Ronnie Hamlin looking for a sailfish. We didn't see a sailfish until one o'clock. Really? <laughs> and after yeah, we were driving all around looking for these bait balls. Oh my God, supposed you're probably thinking, oh, this ain't uh, happening going, oh, It's another wasted <laughs> day. <you> know? <laughs> so finally around one o'clock we saw a couple of fish and I caught one on a spinning rod with a right. jig because it was 10 pound spin with an artificial. So I caught a 50 pound sailfish on that. Or were the seas okay that day? Oh, the seas were terrible. Yeah, that's and, uh, so you're course. probably getting yeah. your ass kicked to yeah, boot, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was not a fun day. So we caught that one, and I'm going, well, at least I caught one on spin. And then about 2 o'clock or something, Ronnie says, all right, pull them in. We're going. With somebody's found a bait ball. So we run about a half hour. We get to somewhere, and uh, there's about four boats around this bait ball. So we back in, and they're all backed in. Bait ball's in the center, and their boats are all backed in around it. And they're all pitching baits in there, catching sailfish right and left. Mm-hmm. So we get in, I'm sitting there throwing a fly rod into this thing. And I hooked five fish on fly, and just free casting it into mm-hmm. the bait ball. You know, it took a while, I figured out that you cast the fly, jerk it twice, then let it sit. And they'll think it's one they whacked, and they'll come up and just eat it. So that worked, I, a couple jumped off because they're hard to hook. And again, this is back in the day when you know, there weren't any of these fancy tippets or anything else. It was twelve-pound right. tippet and a hundred-pound shock tippet. For Christ's sake! So, um, you know, I had, I'm a top flies. So I tied myself for big bay fish patterns, and I hooked one up, got it hooked good, and it started dancing all around. And it went right across, and it cut me off on uh, cut my whole fly line off on somebody else's propellers that were right on the other side of the oh, no. right on the other side of the group. And it was actually it was another guy. Um, it might have been Skip Dickerson. I don't know who. I can't remember exactly who, but I know he's in the Run Real Club. And, he, and they knew what I was doing. Right. And you know, it, they felt so bad that their boat cut my fish off. The next one I hook up, all the boats just took off. You know, just gave me distance, oh, so I, I caught yeah. It. yeah, it was really nice. They all just left, and you know, I fought the fish in. We caught it and everything else, and it was one of my best catches ever. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And yeah, it that's was, great. And they came back fishing, but it was it was a good day. You know, but it took fun. me two years to catch that fish of trying, so yeah. it wasn't like a, you stumble into it or anything. No, I mean, it's hard work, man. That's yeah. good. Well, you got to be lucky too. I mean, there's luck's place. Preparation meets opportunity. Preparation, my yes, yes. It's preparation, but the luck it should yeah. still come. because we hadn't seen a fish until one o'clock in the in, yeah. and I'd pretty much written a day off. You yeah. Know? So the, you're, you're hot. You're
1: hot. It's funny you bring up the Met and like we've had like quite a few guys on the show, you know, bringing up the Met mm-hmm. you know, and just how great. Of a time that was And I mean even like When we had Rob Fordyce On the show He talks about When he was even a kid In high school mm-hmm. How he was like Looking at that As the benchmark of Oh he yeah He wanted the hit Yeah You know what yeah. I mean To be seen and known And uh, and Rufus obviously Talks about it You know All, all the time I mean Is, is, is there a no, Like a chance Or a possibility Of anything like that Like happening again
2: No Is there just too much Money involved in the game Now or what Well I don't, I don't know whether it's money, but the thing that destroyed all the light tackle fishing is braid. Right. In my mind, because we used to fish six pound test, Mm -hmm. eight pound test. Now, eight pound braid tests out at 32 pounds. Right. You know, why would you, you could cast just as well with the eight pound, eight pound diameter, but you got 30 pound test. Right. You know, and. So everybody, you, why would you go out and try to catch something on six-pound test? Mm-hmm. You know, or, or, or well, twelve or plug. Plug was all monofilament. Nobody uses plug tackle for anything anymore. Nobody spin. Nobody. It's all artificial. Plug's artificial. Um, spin was ten-pound artificial. Uh, they got away from that. Now people are more into catching. They got yeah. the heavier lines. They got the braid. There's lots of bait. They've all figured out that if you cast out a whole pile of pilchers. Yeah. You know, the chumming brings the fish in really quick and nobody plays with artificials. We used to deep jig and stuff all the time. We never, when I was in Key West, we never even brought bait on the boat. We just got a bunch of jigs and just bounce them off the bottom. We mm-hmm. caught all kinds of fish. That, you got to run 60 miles west of Key West to do that now. Right. You know, you can still do it, but nobody bothers with it. It's just, it went out of fashion. And it became, you know, unpopular, politically incorrect to kill everything right because in the met you had it you killed jack craval you killed every cobia you killed all kinds of stuff that sailfish tarpon Mm -hmm. you know all kinds of things that really there was no reason to kill them you know you weren't going to eat them you're just killing them for the tournament right so i think that combat with that and and the sponsorships and people saying why am i going to fish this light stuff when i can catch a whole lot more with and just as easily with the braid, mm-hmm. so it was a combination of things.
1: Yeah, it's kind of nice to see um, IGFA bring back the light tackle tournament in light mm-hmm. of all those those things, because now it's kind of regaining this reputation as almost kind of like a standard of the hard
2: tournament to fish. Yeah, you, it's you like know? twelve pound. Do they have yeah. a twelve pound line? 12 pound, and yeah, yeah, a sailfish in twelve pound line is a lot of yeah. fun.
1: So it's know. it's kind of it's kind of nice to see that. Um, And then you see who comes out for that tournament. Mm -hmm. Like nothing really but the best guys are showing up and signing up to fish Mm -hmm. that one because those are the only guys, quite frankly, that can actually catch a fish on that that tackle.
2: Most people really like to catch things. And when you're fishing the light tackle, catching is tough. It's tough. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean,
1: you get involved with this tournament, the Golden Fly.
2: Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. right. I keep saying I was late for a meeting, and they appointed me president. Yeah, I and mean, wouldn't I, let me it, resign.
1: We kind of we kind of touched on it a little <clears> bit um, when you were on the show last time, but yeah, I really want to bring it up again because um, the Golden Fly for years has, has just been the benchmark of of fly fishing tournaments, right?
2: Well, the the Gold Cup is the I benchmark. mean, the Gold Cup, yeah, Gold Cup. I did the Golden Fly, right? And the Golden Fly was started by the Sherman brothers and Billy Pate. Mm-hmm. And they were all older. Uh, they'd all fished the Gold Cup their whole lives. They, uh, they, they were getting a little older and they weren't really that hot on a five-day, super intense fishing tournament. And they were having trouble with the, you know, the younger guys because, um, you know, some of them were just kicking their butts. So they decided they were going to have a gentleman's tournament. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be the Golden Fly. And it was only going to be three days. And they ran at the same time uh, as the Gold Cup, just for the old guys who didn't want to fish the Gold Cup to okay. go fish this. That lasted a couple of years, and then they finally moved it away from conflicting with the Gold Cup because a lot of the Gold Cup guys wanted to fish the golden Fly. They can't fish both, right? So they, you know, made it more civilized. And eventually, we moved it to I think maybe when I was got in charge of it. Because I ran it for like 13 or 14 years. Mm-hmm. And when I inherited it, had, it was like $6,000 in debt. And uh, nobody wanted to fish it. Because the year before, they'd had a whole bunch of people fishing in it. Um, the guys who were running it invited all their friends to fish it and didn't charge them. Right. So they had, they had a big thing at the Chica Lodge. And they spent all this money. But since half the people fishing it weren't paying because right. they were friends of the Shermans or somebody. Or somehow conned their way into it, you know. <laughs> Or somewhere or another <laughs> the thing just went under and the next year nobody wanted to fish it but they gave it to me mm-hmm. so now i'm stuck with this tournament with three guys wanting to fish it and no money so uh it took a while but we sort of we moved it to being the first tournament of the year mm-hmm. which is good and around more just before memorial day weekend because that way it was sort of the opening tournament and everybody would come and they'd all be happy you know, by the time the Gold Cup cause it's right, all the guys want to kill each other. Mm-hmm. And But the beginning of the thing, it's the start of the tarpon season tournament levels. Everybody was happy. Everybody's glad to see everybody. It was only three days. It was like a clam bake with fishing rods. And when I ran it, I didn't worry about the guys that were winning stuff, having a good time. I always worried about the guy that came in from Kansas. You know fished five days for warm-ups fished the golden flies and caught two fish the whole time i wanted him to have a good time and hardly wait to come back next year too right so we really i really tried to make it a social tournament where everybody just had a good time and it worked because it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and when i left the the steve ward took over and a couple of the guys and they're hardcore gold cup you know so they immediately dumped the 20 pound tippet I had and went to 16 and they're measuring length and girth and all this other stuff. And, you know, we had, you know, I had 20 pound tippets and we still girth them and stuff, but Mm -hmm. it was, I wanted people to catch fish. Sure. You know, I didn't want to have the skill involved. I wanted luck to play a part of it. And, you know, I'd have gotten a 30 pound tippet if it was legal, but we did, you know, 20 pound Mason, you can put some hurt on some fish. Right. So it worked out very well everybody had a good time it got bigger and bigger and bigger and now like the last couple of years they have they've limited it to 25 people and they got another 25 people on the waiting list wow there aren't that many guides that know how to fish for tarpon. yeah you know i mean all the good guys are booked up years in advance and uh you know some of the other guys are, are getting into it and a lot of the a lot of the guys that are just starting out make their name in these tournaments you know they get in the tournament with not really one of the top anglers and they do pretty good mm-hmm. and the next thing you know their reputation is growing you win the gold cup or place in the gold cup or the holly or the golden fly yeah people look at you differently yeah yeah so if you're a guide and you've got a couple of those wins proving grounds yeah yeah so it's good it's worked out really well i don't fish them anymore but i I still sponsor the Hard Luck Trophy and the Golden Fly because oh, yeah. I give a big I give a big print of one of my pictures, you know, to the, the guy Hard Luck that, Award, the guy that had the worst time in the whole tournament, you know. So it, uh, it I remember one time we had a other fish category, yeah, and somebody accidentally snagged a turtle. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. and so the the best other fish was a turtle that year, oh. but it was just fun, you know, yeah. was just having fun. So it's uh, you know I, I miss it but i've sort of you know the tarpon fishing has changed so yeah. much it's gotten harder and harder the fish are smarter um i really got the tarpon fishing bug with bill curtis back in yeah. in the like maybe late 80s early 90s or something because i remember we were at a rod and reel club meeting and bill was there and i was saying uh, gee, you know, I really never fly fish for tarpon. Everybody's talking about that. I'd been more concerned about world records, so I was out at the wrecks and stuff with the tippets and, and stuff like that, mm-hmm. catching amberjacks and cobias and stuff like that. And uh, I never really got the tarpon bug, so now <laughs> I'm here and I said, I really want to go. Well, I'd really like to catch a tarpon on fly, you know. And Bill says, What are you doing tomorrow? And I said, Nothing. Why? He said, Well, go catch a tarpon on fly. I said, It's Miami. What do you mean? He said, "There's lots of tarpon in Miami." He said, "There's tarpon on the flats in Miami." I didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. So he said, "Yeah, So see, be at my house at 4:30." I go, "4:30? You know, where are we going? Isla Marana? You know, 4:30?" And he says, "Yeah, shut up and be at my house at 4:30." So I get there with Bill at 4:30 in the morning. Load up the boat. Drive down to Black Point Marina. Launches the boat. Now we're running across the uh, Biscayne Bay. Biscayne Bay, yeah. Pitch dark. I'm with a 65 year old one eyed guide, (laughs) pitch black, going 40 miles an hour across the bay. And Bill says, "Uh, Keep an eye out. There's a marker around here somewhere. (laughs) And the next thing I know, this marker flashes by us at 40 miles an hour, about 10 feet (laughs) off the sun. (laughs) And I'm going, Oh, I'm going to die. Wow. I'm going to die. It's just, this is like, this is such a bad idea. So he finally, we get around, we get out to what they call Curtis Point, which is Rhodes Key, basically. We turn around it's five thirty in the morning or something like that pitch dark and a light goes on there's another guy there already that's another boat beat us to it come on i get you guys are all crazy so uh, mm-hmm. you know we go over we sort of butcher over to him they guys, oh captain curtis you know you just set up whatever you want and we'll get in mm-hmm. our spot i mean he had a lot of respect from the guys. sure did and yeah. this was an ocean reef guide or something i don't know who it was but you know he he we got our spot they got their spot we're happy bunch of tarpon come by and again we're losing 12 pound tippets 100 pound tippets 12 pound chalk tip 12 pound tournament tippets and uh, you know like 180 pound shock tape and a big huge fly on a four or five odd hook and stuff like that and sure enough i hooked a couple of big tarp and lost them i caught one about 80 pounds on a 10 weight and i go you know this is sort of fun Right. So I kept doing it with Bill and, and got into the tournament, and started doing it with the guys in Key West and Amarada and stuff like that, I fish with Rick Murphy a lot and stuff. And you know, it was, it was fun, I sort of got the bug, and now now I'm really interested in tarpon fishing. Mm-hmm. And there's, that's probably the most spectacular type of fly fishing you can do, is you're on the flats, you're up on a little tiny casting platform, crystal clear water, you see a string of tarpon coming down the Atlantic. And you got to put the fly in just the right spot, and they eat. You could see them come up and snarf. snarf it in. You set the hook, and they start going crazy. It's spectacular. Yeah. It really is. Tarpon are a lot of fun. Yeah. On the flats, they're, they're amazing. In deep water, they're a lot of work, but yeah. on the flats, they're wonderful. Yeah.
1: Tar- tarpon, it's it's a beautiful fish. It's a beautiful fish to catch. I mean, yeah. It's yeah.
2: changed so much, though. The uh,
1: Yeah. I kind of wanted to talk to you about that, the yeah. change in, in all this, and, and not even just. I mean, I, I know we, we like to talk about uh, on some level, you know, conservation and, you know, <laughs> past, first, present and all that kind of good stuff, you know, like with the way things were, the way things are, the mm-hmm. way things are going to be. Um, but we discussed even on the phone the other day, just a little bit about, you know, the different pressure that the fish are under yeah. to because of the population.
2: here. Well, I so. work with the Bonefish Tarpon Trust a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm on their advisory board. And uh, you know they're a good bunch of guys. who are doing a lot of research. They're really Great making some improvement, making some improvements, getting no fish jo- zones during the permit season down off Key West and stuff. And yeah, and they've got they've done a lot of good work and a lot of research, and they're trying to get the bonefish back and they're trying to you know help the tarpon and, and everything else. But around two thousand, late nineties, two thousand, Bill Curtis said. You know, there's probably 10% of the tarpon that I was seeing in the 70s now going down the coast, you know, off Miami. They go, they all stage up in government cut and they gradually go south. Mm-hmm. He says 10% of the ones I used to see in the 70s, late 60s, early 70s, 10%. That was 2000 or 1998 or something like that. I swear now, last couple of years, there's 10% of the tarpon that I was seeing in 2000. Yeah. So Bill described scenes where he was the only boat out there, there would be a pod of 50 to 500 tarpon every quarter mile from Government Cut all the way down to Key Largo, just going one after another after another. And of course, they're throwing these big ugly flies that couldn't rent a fish on today. Mm-hmm. And they were hooking up continually. It was it was magical. It was like, that's I saw that, you know, in offshore Key West, because I was more interested in the offshore stuff than the tarpon. But right. back then, the wrecks that were close in, you had 60, 70-pound Cobia coming up. I caught a, I caught a 67-pound, 4-ounce Cobia with trosset on an 8-pound tippet back in 1984. And I don't think that record will ever be beaten. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of 67-pound Cobia around. And if somebody sees one, they're not going to throw a fly at it. eight-pound, And they're not going to have an 8-pound tippet wow. on it. Yeah. So I think that one is there like forever. But that's... That's what we had back then. We yeah. had big, huge fish and lots of them. Now you're struggling to catch a legal cobia, 36 inches to the fork. You know, it's hard to catch one that's legal. We yeah. got a whole bunch, caught a whole bunch the other day. And, uh, you know, we let everyone we'd want one that was barely 36 inches as well. It's, you know, it's the 36 inches. We're going to eat it because they taste good. Right. But back in the day, they were. they just destroyed them. When the Laurens came out, like we had all these secret wrecks, Laurens came out, we tried to keep them secret, but a lot of the guys would figure out about where we were and they'd come out, they'd let us get out there, get set, and then they'd come out and they'd just spot you, you know, and they'd aim right for you and think he'd come right on you before you could unanchor on the wreck. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd punch the numbers in. There was one guy down in Key West called Fishing Farmer, and he did that he caught a couple of guys on the wrecks delph or Trosset or somebody and he went back out to that same wreck with 50 pound line and killed every kobe on the wreck brought it back and sell it and we wonder why they're no kobe right You yeah. know, you know it's bouncer talks all the time he
1: tells me he's like man he's like dennis because i used to see so many tarpon you know just right off the beach of miami and mm-hmm. you know hollywood and there he's like he goes, you just don't see that. the, to like, just see them lines of tarpon yeah. going out, and he's, you just don't see it anymore. And um, and then he, he even says that one of the biggest reasons that he, he retired was he just got sick of feeding tarpon the sharks.
2: Yeah. You know? And the sharks. The yeah. sharks. Um, I was talking to Rodney Barreto, who's the chairman of the FWC, and he mm-hmm. said the number one complaint we get at FWC is the sharks.
1: Yeah actually the interesting thing you bring him up we're actually supposed to have rodney on the show pretty soon oh
2: excellent yeah he's a wonderful guy yeah really really into everything really into fishing and just He's, yeah. he's, so he's saying a lot of people are talking about that. He said people were talking about sharks. That's yeah. what the complaint is. There's so many sharks who can't kill the shark. They're what are everywhere. his thoughts
1: on it, though? Did he share that with you? He's or? not. No, he's, he's <laughs>
2: keeping those cards close <laughs> to right, the vest. are going to go there. <laughs> he just nods his head and agrees yeah, with you and says, yeah, really a lot of complaints, much. you know, uh, yeah. no solutions. But, you know, now they got so many shark species are protected. And That's I think thing, you know, black man. tips and lemons the sandbars, and sandbars, sandbars, paris, yeah. the bulls. I think well, the bulls you can take one, yeah, you can catch bulls. Right. I know, but uh, um, but no, Chris, no one does it. Chrissy Wahibi, no one does it because you don't want to bring that thing under your deck. No, they try to, to kill you. Do that. Uh, Chrissy Wahibi with the Jose uh-huh. Wahibi Foundation is running a bull shark tournament yep. in April, yeah. which is pretty cool. Catch a bull shark, bring it up the boat, take a picture of it, let it go. And those are the only fish you can target. So it's yeah. the only fish in the tournament. And they got a flats division and an offshore division and stuff. But it's sort of a unique concept. But the... Uh, yeah, she was in here a couple months ago talking about that mm-hmm, tournament. Mm-hmm. And, you know,
1: and she's, she was real excited about it. Yeah. And, it, and she just wanted to let everyone know that, you know, it's just we're not doing anything wrong and it's we're doing you know everything possible to also just raise awareness to a situation as well Mm -hmm. you know it's interesting to count
2: the sharks they catch the because you can't put a bait out and say bull bull shark only needs apply so you're going to catch a few other things it'll be interesting to see you know the different species when they're actually counted yeah, and stuff. So the only ones that count for the tournament are the bulls, but everybody's going to keep track of whatever else they catch just right. for just for record keeping and conservation. Yep, and so, stuff.
1: See, and that's another thing too. Whenever whenever we talk about this, you know, um, with with you know whether it's Doug Coven or, or fly and all the stuff like that, and, we're, and anytime we raise any questions or problems to any of the higher up organizations. They're always like, where's the data? We don't see the data. Mm-hmm. They just, you know, it's hearsay. And then the scientists go out to the wrong areas, yeah, too deep of water, or, or what have <clears> and you. And see nothing example, and say, I oh, know yeah, what they're talking yeah, about. You know?
2: Exactly, well, come in the 150, 200 with me and see how many sailfish yeah. they're eating. Yeah, they're eating sailfish. They're, you can't, you know, I used to do a lot of snapper fishing with RT Trosset down in Key West. Yeah. And we used to go down and we used to pump muttons and groupers and all kinds of stuff. Now you get, you get first mutton in, you get the second mutton in, you might get the third mutton in, you won't get another one. Yeah, The sharks find you right away. Same thing with the wrecks. They'd go out on the wrecks and chum with the live pilchers to get the mm-hmm. blackfin tuna up. And you used to be able to catch them on fly, you catch them on light tackle, you, all kinds of really fun stuff with the tunas. Now, you know, our fishes fish is like 30 or 40 pound braid on a spinning rod. Yeah, And you got it, you'll get the first one in, you uh, get the second one in, You'll not get the third one in, and you'll never get another one. These 400-pound sharks just oh, sit. Oh, once they come, they don't leave. They sit right yeah. under the boat, and they're so smart. They sit under the boat. You hook the fish up. They don't chase it. Mm-mm. They just sit there and say, you know, you're going to tire it out and bring it right back to us, and we're going to eat it 30 feet from the boat when you bring it up to land it. Yeah, easy and, pickings. Yeah, but you don't catch any. And it's just like there was a guy saying he, he had a friend out that in Rufus's area up in, the bull shark barge or some some right. wreck they had up there, and they were catching permit. He said he caught fourteen permit before he got one in the boat. All they're all crazy. eaten by sharks. So why do you keep doing That's that? Crazy. You're just killing. All fish. you're doing is killing yeah. permit and feeding sharks. Don't you figure it out? The sharks have you know got you lined up, and then yeah. you catch one, you take pictures of it. I got my permit, put it in the water. Shark eats it twenty yeah. feet from the boat. it swimming away because it's tired. Yeah, and they don't figure that out. They're just killing permit to feed sharks. Yeah. Do something e- e- else.
1: Everything changed when they changed the laws and when they changed the, with with which fish or which, and they did the, the, the commercial long line or the shark line, yeah, yeah. And when they changed that and they changed all, they opened up the sandbars and when they opened up the sandbars, that was really a big change to it. But what do you mean open up the sandbars? Like when they, when they said
2: you're not allowed to, Oh yeah, to close, take them in. Yeah, they they, close yeah. the sandbars. Well, that's yeah. I mean, when yeah. they opened them up they, yeah. to be free. Yeah, yeah you, know? you can't yeah. catch anything with teeth yeah. now. Yeah, right. But it's uh. It's a problem. You know, you go out and... It's a big problem. The same thing with the tarpon. They'll eat the tarpon. Yep. It's pretty scary. You see a 14-foot hammerhead coming in eating a tarpon. Yeah. It's a pretty scary thing to watch. Yeah, it is. They bite a 100-pound tarpon in half. You can't cut a tarpon in half with a chainsaw. And they'll bite it right in half. Those tarpon
1: hammerhead fights are just brutal. Oh,
2: yeah. they're amazing. I was... You know, I was talking to the guys, and I said, you know, I'd really like to get in the water with one of those big schools of tarpon we see coming down the yeah. white sand, like off you know Bahia Honda or something like that. You know, up in the sand, we'll get up in the flats you will see them coming. I'll just float in the water, and they'll hopefully come yeah. right by me. He goes, not on my boat. That'd be the worst place to now jump we in, a boat yeah. because these things are gonna blast into the. I've seen hammerheads come in and hit a school of tarpon, and the tarpon look like mullet. Ugh. They're they're hundred pound fish, and they're acting like mullet, just you know greyhound jumping all over the place yeah and they said you know they come in there and the first thing he sees is you floating there and you ain't running away you're gonna get bit right so i said yeah that's a good point i haven't done that no haven't done that not going to swim with those things so what so and you'll go down with all the tiger sharks though well that's over in tiger beach yeah and yeah that's an interesting place but they have they have 15 foot tiger sharks that come in regularly and the guides Mm -hmm. feed them I have a friend Elaine Martinez that runs a thing called Shark Diver magazine. It started out as a magazine but it's not really a magazine. Right yet. now it's just a travel company. And he goes to all kinds of neat places. Yeah. And uh, uh, how much
1: do you think that, that contributes to if at all to any of the shark problem that we're
2: Oh it's a it's a small area of I don't even know where it is in the Bahamas. I know you well, the Bahama, yeah, the Bahamas. Beach, might be run, out Baham, uh, run out of run out of Palm Beach, and run straight across, and it's somewhere West End yeah. or something. I don't know where it is. We're we're on a boat. I don't even know where we yeah, are. Yeah, because I know a lot of people are up in arms about the guys up in Jupiter and all you the, know, the, the operations that they're I've doing. I've seen but. that, and I've dove with those sharks. Yeah, and I don't think that's making any difference at all. Right, because they're very careful. They use really old, dead, stinky chum. Mm-hmm. You know rotten bonitas frozen refrozen they want it really sort of not rotten stinky but just old and not bloody nothing's new and they put it in a crate and they throw it over and you see the sharks come in and it's like driving by a mcdonald's you know it's not much but it's free and cheap and easy and maybe there's something here so they come in real docile right smelling stuff looking around they don't really feed them you know they just have them come in on this little chum thing and they swim around, and you're, I was swimming around right with them. Mm-hmm. And they said, don't swim directly at the bull sharks because you'll scare them away. Right. And I go, okay. And a bull shark comes up. You swim right at the bull shark with a camera, trying to get that head on. shot. bull shark goes nuts, swims away, leaves you. So you got to swim underneath the sharks and come up with them, next to them, so they think you're just another shark swimming up. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> These yeah. are bull sharks. The bull right. sharks are squirrely. I've had some... I don't like bull sharks. Close calls? Yeah, not really. I didn't get bit or anything, but I've had them, you that's know, rude, turn on me for a little bit, you know, turn on me and come man. at me, and they go, no, that's not it, and go back away. Looking at that on a video later on, saying I didn't even see that guy coming at me. Yeah. And uh, so that gets a little hairy. They're, they've tightened up those rules too. Now they, they, they make you stay on the rope. Of course, I knew the owner that started that stuff, so I would, you know, Hunter Ledbetter and I used to go down there. We just jump in the water, and swim all around with them, and play with yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, now they watch on the rope but they they don't feed if anybody's not on the rope they they won't feed and they they keep it very uh, very careful and very safe yeah the insurance company probably had played a role in that i don't never heard <laughs> of anybody getting bitten in any of these these shark dervids, but i don't think you know i've asked that a lot and i don't I think there think, was one last year wasn't there like in the bahamas i think
1: was oh it yeah there, guys yeah. in bahamas spear fishermen yeah. get bit all the time if you're spear yeah. fishing no i mean from one of these groups
2: yeah but I think there was one. It was I think it was like
1: some doctor from Houston. or. Oh, thing, that mean. guy was
2: killed. Yeah. He, yeah. He was at, he was in Tiger Beach. Right. And, they, and he was a, a, a guy. I don't know friends that knew him. Okay. And he was just getting into underwater photography and was really good at it and loved it. You know, uh, he was a chiropractor, I think. So he came on the Tiger Beach thing, which is spectacular. Mm-hmm. Just spectacular. It's a 15 foot tiger sharks that are eating out of Eli's hand and stuff. It's like, wow. So. They went on a night dive. Now you're you're in water that's crystal clear and you're yeah. looking for sharks. And you know, Eli would always say, keep your head on a swivel because they like to ambush. They come in from behind you. you they come in behind you to see what you're doing. Yeah. You turn to look at them and they'll go, ah, and they run away. Yeah. But they're coming up behind you. And they don't have hands. <laughs> you know. Right. So the only way they can find out what you are is to take a little test. And uh the, the guys were out on a night dive and you know you've been you're in an area where you've been chumming sharks all day long right and you're now swimming at night where you got no visibility (laughs) other than a little light was he with the group he was was with the group and he just never came back huh and we so they don't really know what happened to him but I think they found some of his equipment with bite marks on him so he may have you know had a a, had a tank problem and drowned or something like that and then were was picked on by the sharks later or a shark might have hit him Uh, they just don't know wow that's crazy, but you know i had I had one incident where I was coming back to the boat, and they tell you very specifically, swim along the bottom, yeah It's salt tank dive, swim along the bottom, get right under the boat, come straight up, and get on the ladder and get out as soon as you can right so naturally i'm coming in, and I spotted something interesting, and there were some guys ahead of me, so I 'm floating around the surface like you're not supposed to do, and another guy was on the The timeline, you know, where you, the decomp line, Mm -hmm. and he saw me, and he said, one of the tiger sharks, the one they call Hook, followed me all the way up, and I stayed up there, and the shark was, he's got pictures of the shark coming up, sort of behind me, and I went up, and I got one foot on the ladder, I handed my camera up, and the shark came up and hit me in the rear end, knocked me out of the water. If he'd opened his mouth, I'd have been dead. Really? He came up and knocked me right up into the air, hit me right in my Rear end. Really? Yeah. He almost had a nice Uh, bite in the ass. Oh, if he'd opened his mouth, I'd have lost my hamstring or my buttocks or something like that. I'd have been dead. I have one policy that always keeps me, that always helps
1: me avoid any situation like that. I just, I don't go diving in the water with sharks. Well, that's what, you
2: know, (laughs) that's the first rule on how to avoid shark attacks (laughs) is don't go in the water. (laughs) You ever been in the water diving with
3: sharks? Yeah, down in St. Martin, like 65 feet down with the reef sharks over there. Yeah.
2: Yeah was it fun
1: it's
3: a pretty neat experience
2: yeah they're pretty cool under the water mm-hmm. they uh they're like jet planes the way they move is just really really good yeah oh, but anyway oh good the,
3: the we're people, Feeding them off sticks and stuff like that yeah
2: they
1: uh you know the guys who were on the boat your first time when you did that were you like just scared shitless oh, or, yeah right oh yeah were you scared before you went down you remember
3: i would just did a stupid thing because i'm not certified
1: Okay flying <laughs> drinking
3: I did three dives that day because I had a show like, <clears throat> of like a 45 foot like wreck dive another dive and if I did all these dives I could do the 65 foot dive yeah well come on guys like it's not really the right way to do it you're supposed to take time in between each and, and stuff like that so I did all that and then I went down and it was good. I just don't know how to clear. I'm being on, you know, like that yeah, I, I didn't yeah. get taught, to, you know, so I'm down there and I'm having just a little bit of a kind of a panic a little bit because I'm trying to clear. Right. So I had to get pulled, you know. You're, you're looking also,
1: up and you see that that's far away, the top. That
3: wasn't really, <laughs> that was down in Turks and Caicos when I went further for my first time. I just right. think I did too much that time down in St. Martin when right. I was, you know, I had to prove myself to go down with a shark but it was kind of neat but they're not doing it how they're saying to do it with his like we had to go down a line 30 feet and go across like 60 it was like down 30 across 30 like we had to follow these lines to get to the area where we were going to feed them. Okay. And then we just took it from there and sat on cinder blocks holding on and I had you know feed them off sticks in front of your face kind of.
2: Yeah. The first time I ever did it was in Long Key in the Bahamas. This was a million years ago. Right. And um, I went down there they mostly black tips and reef sharks and stuff and, and we were doing it and in the beginning, it's like, oh, sharks, wow. And then after a while, you know, they're swimming by you and you get acclimated to them and you go, oh, these are fun. I was out in the middle of the sharks. They got so mad at me because I was out with my camera trying to right. get pictures of the sharks swimming around the guys because they'd swim right next to you. So the people were all lined up on this little reef and I wanted to get pictures of the sharks, you know, swimming in and out of the people. So I had to go out with the sharks, oh, they went nuts. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm cool. But, but it was, it was, you know, I've never really been afraid of them or something. I mean, right. I was, I was harassed. There's another shark at Tiger Beach called Emma, which is the biggest one. She's 1,500 pounds if she's an ounce. Ugh. And, uh, tiger? fifteen fifteen. 15, 15, your tiger. Her head's about three feet wide oh between the eyes. And Eli comes down and feeds him. Well, one day she started coming over to me. And I don't know why she was coming over to me. I was with about a dozen other photographers who were all kneeling on the sand. Eli's in the middle with the food. Yeah. And this shark would leave Eli and come straight to me. Well, she'd come to me and she'd look at me and she'd swim right up to me. I would roll back, mouth would open, and I'd hit her in the face with my I camera. I would roll back, huh? I would roll back, wow. mouth open, coming right in on me. And like, I, I, I don't have any food, leave Ugh. me alone. And um, push her off and she'd go back and 10 minutes later she'd come back to me again and then she started coming straight to me not even going to Eli I mean I don't know why she was had this love affair with me but I was getting a little concerned because I I paid to take pictures of them I didn't pay to pet them Yeah, and it was uh it was pretty good. They got some pretty cool pictures of me pushing her away and say, oh, look, he's eating, biting your camera. He said, no, he's getting hit in the face with the camera because I can buy a new camera. I can't buy a new hand. Dude, that must have been nerve wracking. It was. It was. And when I got up, you know, because we also I had gone in earlier than everybody else. Hunter and I were always in the water way before yeah. everybody. So we got in there and uh, got back up. And I was saying, God, the shark wouldn't leave me alone. And one of the guys said, oh, yeah, we were cleaning fish on the table. I think you stepped in some of the fish guts on your way into the water. I said, and you didn't tell me. Right. You know, so I got like yellowtail guts stuck in my flipper or something that uh, was it was just that smell was enough to, you know, set me out ahead of everybody else for the shark. Really? Yeah. So anyway, yeah, you've got to be careful. Yeah, but it I'm is, good. it's a little—it's a little hairy. But it's—you got to be careful. I don't have to be careful. It's—it's <laughs> it's pretty invigorating. I sort of—I retired from that. I figured I've done that. I haven't gotten hurt, so I'm—I'm uh, I'm, uh, not doing sharks anymore. Yeah. No, you're done with the shark thing. I'm done with the shark thing. You yeah. know, what's the other other thing that's really fascinating for divers is the Goliath grouper spawn off Jupiter. Mm-hmm. That's very nice. That's the you get. You'll have twenty. Four to six hundred pound Goliath groupers around a wreck, yeah, and that's really exciting to dive yeah, that's with those cool. things, yeah. Because there, you're about five feet from them; they're not going to bother you. They're right, right. afraid of you. They can't eat you. They're just sitting there, looking at you. Yeah, you know, like yeah. why are you here? Big lumps, yeah, big lumps. But they, the those with the background of the wrecks and stuff is really, really, you know, if you're a diver and you like to do that type of stuff, uh, something interesting. That's a really exciting dive. It goes from the middle of August to the middle of September.
1: Yeah that's cool you've been traveling i mean you went recently to alaska after the galapagos trip and you went somewhere else you went where'd you go after that galapagos trip? before alaska
2: i don't remember you go all you remember. travel all i'm traveling all the time i go time. somewhere that's like every, all you do now right yeah. you really travel. i don't have a job you you're know? all over the place <laughs> you know, so i just go places i can't even keep track of you they uh well you um, did do your alaska trip i do alaska every year every year you actually do i spend almost a month in alaska every year right There used to, there's a lodge called Hoodoo Lodge that we go for King Salmon on fly which is spay casting which is a whole different um, system which is sort of interesting because I had to learn that. Right. Um, I go to Rainbow King Lodge which a friend of mine owns and that's spectacular. If there's one lodge to go to in Alaska for your first time, go to Rainbow King, the website is rainbowking.com. Where is that? It's in Iliamna, it's a fly out lodge. They fly you out every day. You can catch all kinds of different fish. Mm-hmm. and it's it's actually cheaper than most of the five-star lodges and uh, it's run by really good guys. The pilots and planes are spectacular and they'll, depending on where you go, it's July is completely different than September. Yeah, In September you get the big rainbows that come out of the lakes into the rivers and uh, but in July you get the the sockeye, beginning sockeye run where there's thousands of sockeye silver sockeyes in the mm-hmm. water and uh, they also have offshore fishing for halibut and stuff at a place and you know they've got let's like what do you want to catch tomorrow right so well you know we got salmon we got halibut we've got grayling they've got a river a little river with grayling where you get these trophy sized grayling 20 inch grayling a little dry flies on three weight rods and stuff, mm-hmm. which is really fun you'll catch 40 a day and uh, they have silver salmon in season they have king salmon in the beginning they have sockeye salmon and uh They have rainbow trout and stuff. So, you know, I usually go in September because that's when the big trout are there. I like the big trout. And so we get there and they'll say, what do you want to catch tomorrow? They go, well, I'd I'd like to catch rainbows. You know, Mm -hmm. I do some rainbow fish. Well, you want a lot of medium-sized rainbows, like, you know, 16 to 22 inches, or do you want a shot at a 30-incher? You know, 30-inch, you're not going to catch a lot. You may catch some 27s, 28s, you might catch a 30, but you're not going to catch a ton of fish. With the mediums, you'll do that. Somebody will say, okay, well, I'd I'd just like to catch a lot of them. You know, I like the medium ones, the 20-inch rainbow is a really nice fish. They say, fine, you want it with or without bears, because the bears are walking around in September the bears are all down eating the red sockeye right in the rivers and the rainbows are in eating the sockeye eggs so you want with bears because you want to get that on film. I want the bears yeah. I love the bears I love the bears these yeah. big huge brown bears are just walking right up and down the river right next to you yeah and it's it's pretty impressive Seeing you got some pretty good shots of those too yeah you're seeing an 800 pound grizzly bear walk up to you <sighs> you know it's it's. Okay. what's the closest you ever got to one of those things oh I've uh, probably 15 feet come on walked right by me Yeah, uh, you know what yeah they just they they're the way they describe it that's a beast oh it's they're they're humongous like the word the definition of the word beast of the earth yeah it's an 800 pound grizzly bear and it's walking right next to you so the bears the way they describe it the guys at the head guide at rainbow king really does a good job he says look these we're fishing national parks so you can't bring a gun in or anything else right but you're fishing national parks these bears live in the national parks they live on the coast They're salmon bears. They feed primarily on salmon. Now the upland bears where they're hunting caribou and moose babies and stuff, that's a different animal. But these are down here, they're eating salmon. They've been born in the park. Their mother's taken them down, walked them up and down the rivers, told them which berries to eat, how to catch the salmon, how to eat the salmon, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. All the time they're walking up being trained by their mother, there's people fishing. Not once, as mommy said, you know, those things are really good to eat. Yeah. You know, let's get one of them, you know, really have a feast. So they've grown up with people fishing, and, you know, the people aren't bothering them, and they've got no train or inclination to eat you or hurt you or do anything except just let you do your thing. So it's really very peaceful.
1: All right. Pat Ford, ladies and gentlemen, wrestles grizzly bears, strangles tiger sharks. No, I used to wrestle alligators
2: back in my day. Too. Did you really? Yeah. Come on! <laughs> I did. I You're think, gonna
1: wrestle some alligators up in Gainesville for your bass fishing trip. I
2: think they're gonna be a little cold tomorrow. Yeah. And, uh, but no, I had a client. I had a client that was the son of the Miccosukee Indian alligator wrestler, Bobby Tiger, Spencer yeah. Tiger was his name. Bobby Tiger was the alligator wrestler. He taught me to do the whole show. You know, I could go in there and pull one out and do the, wrestle the, it the, and the, turn the it palm on.
1: open on mm-hmm. the nose kind of thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know all that stuff. It was fun. I was. I had a death wish back then. I attribute that to my first wife. <laughs> <laughs> getting all that yeah <laughs> yep man hey so, thanks for coming in to me. all right well it's fun yeah i try to. i'll do this all the time i could you know i've been i've been in you know florida since 1971 fishing yeah. and you know i love the fishing i love the water uh and i morphed from fishing into the photography and the writing and stuff like that. I was always writing. I was always writing articles after my trips because I would go in there and I'd write off my trip as a business expense from the firm or something, you know. So I'd write a nice story and, you know, eventually a guy said, look, you've got all these stories of your trips. Why don't you put them all together in a book? So I said, okay. And uh, put a bunch of stories together, sent it out and Stackpole bought the first one and uh, it's called The Best Fly Fishing Trips Money Can Buy, and that was around 2000 or something. Mm-hmm. And I just put all my, my travels you know, into a book in chapters, and I would explain to you everything you needed to know about this trip, when to go, right. what tackle you needed, you know, who to fish with, what the best lodges were, and stuff. So the idea was at the end of a chapter, you could sit down, make a phone call, and set up your trip. And it was sort of helpful. It, it, was, it was a lot of fun to do. And, and, you know, a lot of people have said, hey, I went on a lot of your trips that you mentioned in the book. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. The same thing. And I had the second book. And then I worked with, did all the photography for Andy Mill on and, mm-hmm. uh, and the Tarpon book and uh, wrote a couple of chapters for that. And, you know, if anybody has a book that they're doing, I have so many people help me with my books. that if anybody's doing a book and they need photos or they need an article or something, they just call me yeah. more than happy to do it.
1: Yeah, and I'll also say, I'll never forget the one thing you told me like a long time ago. Jeez, I think man, it was one of the first times I met you. It might have been at a, actually a Bonefish Tarpon Trust event down at the IGFA or something mm-hmm. like that, right? And I remember you saying like, you were looking at my artwork and everything like that. And he goes, by the way, if you ever want to use any of my photos for reference, no problem. But just call me and ask me first. Like, the, and I remember that and yeah. I, as a courtesy. And I never yeah. forgot that. I'm like, you know what? That's absolutely. That's all they have yeah, to do. That's it. I, get, and I always thought that was actually a generous thing to say.
2: Well, you know, it, what I, mean? you know, I just, photos are there, if yeah. somebody wants to paint them, especially somebody with your talent. I mean, I'm honored to have them want to paint one of my photos and, you know, a lot of the guys do. Yeah. And it's, uh, um, I think everybody does. Sooner or later they'll say, you know, you got a good couple of good snook pictures, I'm doing a snook picture yeah. or something like that and I'll send them to them. And, and uh, you know they'll send me a print maybe or something or just show me the thing and yeah you know i love to do it if i can help somebody yeah that's awesome you know that's great that, that somebody with my pictures that i put on facebook or something like that or email around and i figure if you know if i can brighten somebody's day who's in omaha in the winter or something like right, that I show right. them a bunch of fish pictures and you know good yeah that's, uh, that's cool. a good deal that's cool all right Pat that's so good man thank
1: you so much for coming in if anyone listen follow pat ford on every social channel you can find I mean you really just put out to, like the most outstanding content and your trips are fun to follow too and, and you're just putting photos out all the time and just just great great stuff you know really. no
2: good taking photos unless somebody sees them
1: right yeah. right exactly exactly works, works totally good. true works good yeah so thank right, you man. very
2: much Dennis thank you
1: yeah have a great uh, walkabout up to Gainesville and uh, Arlene thank you for hanging out with us here today and Carly, Carly I just put that together Carlene and Arlene
3: you're so pretty, Dennis. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thanks. So, all right, it's livening the place up. Yeah, all right, yeah, my I man. Think, uh, hey, so we're gonna end this like anytime. we always do, right? If I catch a fifteen pound bass next week, I'll be back and we can have another story.
1: So, one thing I want to do too is is we're we're talking about we're we're doing like um, multi level different like bonefish, tarpon, and trust episodes and getting some people from that because we want to really start spotlighting that mm-hmm. organization more. So maybe you can come sit at the table. We can get like a group. The sure btt group going i don't have a you job all right i can come anytime perfect unless i'm fishing unless you're fishing <laughs> unless you're in alaska unless you're in it's tropic a, star unless in you're in somewhere the amazon catching peacocks yeah. you, you never know something so, all right your ego is not your amigo always do your best and at the end of the day just let god do the rest and do not ever forget that no matter where we are no matter what we're doing we're all connected by water amen thank you pat thank, thank you. you
3: gentlemen
0: You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.